going to teach you something that my dad taught me. If my dad was going to pastor Martin and pastor me, I think he should pastor you too. And this is one of the most important things he ever taught me. So men, I'm expecting you all to pay attention and do what my dad did. Because it will change your life. And it's that there is a difference between you praying and between you commanding. And there's not many people that make the distinction between having said their prayers, speaking to God, and using your authority. So we're going to start on that concept today of the difference between praying and commanding. Now, authority was given to you right from the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis 1.28, it says that God gave man authority. I don't know why we don't teach this in church, but you tell me when you've heard this lesson on authority, when you really use it, your authority. And then you'll see Jesus, and he gave his disciples authority. So first, God gives man, and then Jesus gives his disciples authority. So I was blessed. I came from a family in ministry, and my parents were pastors. And this is something that is so crucial to your spiritual development and to get the kind of answers you want out of prayer. The reason you're not getting the kind of answers you want out of prayer is because you're only praying and you're not using your authority. So authority versus prayer. And we're going to split them today so you can see the difference between it. So you're going to either be in life asking God to do it or you're going to be using your authority. There's a big difference. One, you're asking God to do it. The other one, you're speaking knowing that God has already done it. And you're, you're doing it. You're using what God has given you, and you're using your authority. So that's what my dad was explaining to me, that there's a difference between the two. And so today will be a revelation of authority. So how do you know when to command something? It's where the will of God's known. When you know the will of God, you can use your authority. Anywhere the will of God is established, anywhere you know the will of God, you can use your authority. In Matthew 8, verse 5 through 13, this is a scripture that explains it. Except there's one very odd thing about this scripture in the Bible. And that's the fact that the man that needs the miracle from Jesus, he has a servant who's paralyzed. The guy who needs the miracle is the one that tells the parable and explains the difference to Jesus. Now, most of the time, Jesus told a parable to the person, but this time, the man tells Jesus a parable. Now, let's see how much Jesus liked this. Did he like this guy telling him what to do? Did he like a man telling him, you should do this? In fact, this guy even disagrees with Jesus and tells him no. Of all things, nobody talks about this, but this is what happens here. So many times we need to command, and we're stuck in our prayer. We're stuck in what my dad called homework. He said prayer is your homework. It's what you do behind the scenes. It's that thing you do in the secret place. It's that thing you do that's just between you and God. You've got to do your homework. But commanding is what you do publicly. It's where the test is on. So we're going to look at this scripture, and in verse 7 is where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 8. And the guy has a paralyzed servant. Now, when you have a good servant, you don't want to lose him. You sure don't want him paralyzed. So you see this guy, he's really upset. This person serves me. He helps me. You can't find a guy like this very many times, someone that will really help you in ministry. That will be the first person you bring for healing. Martin will call me all upset if it's one of you who's as hard as workers. And this is what this guy does is he has a paralyzed servant. Now, the funny thing is this guy is not even Jewish. So this guy comes to him, a centurion, and Jesus is very, uh, he's just very accommodating. He's literally, he doesn't put up anything like he does in the other scripture with the Gentile woman. But with this man, he just says, yes, I will come and I will heal your servant. And so it's just a very easy, it looks like it's going to work out just like you would want it. It's just going to be another healing. Jesus came on the scenes, he heals the guy. But it does not go down that way. It turns out totally different. In fact, you see it's at this point that the man changes Jesus' mind about it. Jesus says, I'm willing, 
outcome healing, and the guy changes his mind about walking to his home. Now, you can guess why the guy might have changed his mind. You hear the guy say, I'm unworthy. Like, I can't have a man like you come into my house. Can you imagine? And you know what's funny about Jesus here? He doesn't get mad at the guy. When the guy tells him, you can't come to my house, uh, Jesus likes it, and he thinks, okay, then what are you offering? And the guy offers Jesus a better method. A completely different method. He offers him something that will save Jesus a lot of time. It will save him a long walk. It will make things easier on him. So this is at that point that the man tells Jesus a story. Now, I was thinking about it because the first time I ever spoke on this subject was in India. This is when God gave me the sermon and I wrote it all out on a napkin. The second time I spoke on it and the third time I spoke on it was in Mexico. And so this is what we were talking about because I was down in the prisons in Mexico. Now, most Americans tried to avoid being in prison in Mexico, but all of us decided we wanted to go into the prisons in Mexico. But there's a difference between Mexican prisons and American prisons. Mexican prisons, they don't get fed. Their family brings them the food. They don't provide the food. If your family doesn't feed you, you don't get anything to eat. And it was at that point that I realized something in Mexican prisons. You are really locked away. Like, I've worked the prisons here in Brownwood, and when you hear that click, when that door locks, have any of you experienced that? I mean, it's like a terrible feeling when you know you're locked into a prison. And you tell yourself, I'm not free. I can't go anywhere. If I go crazy, I can't get out of this place. You know, I'd walk into prisons every Monday night and I'd hear the click behind me. Many times they'd lock me in a room and they'd lock me in there with 30-something guys. All of them had committed crimes and I would hear the click. And you know, I knew what they felt like when they realized their freedom was taken away. But there's something that I'm telling you right here that's the principle that, that we're discovering is there's one thing they can't put in jail. They can't put your prayer life in jail. That's right. They can't put your authority in jail. That's right. There is one thing that can slip out those prison bars, and that's the authority of the believer. There is one thing that can slip out wherever you're living, wherever you feel trapped, and that's your authority. And this is where this starts right now, is that the guy understood authority in a way that many people don't. And that's why he tells Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. You don't have to go there. In fact, you can stay right where you are, and you can speak, and it will change it over here. You can literally be in one place and change something in another place. You know, sometimes I'd be on the mission field, I'd be in India and I'd be afraid. What's happening back home? What's going on? I'm not home. But I'm telling you what could reach Texas from India is your authority. When you feel powerless and you don't feel like there's anything you can do about a situation, when you're worried about your children, you can speak here and use your authority there. So this is a very unusual situation where an officer in the military explains to Jesus about authority. And before we talk about what he said, I want to tell you something that happened to me. We had a college girl, and she came to me. And uh, she was kind of a challenge to me because her family and her church disbelieved everything I had to say. I mean, she was from a particular church that is so strict and so religious. And she was in my Bible study to prove to me everything I said was wrong. And so that's how we began our relationship. I would go see family. They were very religious, and they were very proud. Have you ever known someone like that, where they're very religious, but they don't seem to have a relationship with God? So for a year, I had that relationship going on with this girl of teaching, and she was very quiet. She didn't say anything. So I had no idea how we were progressing. But she would take me with her different places. 
she would stiffen. You know, sometimes when you'd preach, have you ever seen anyone? They stiffen. Or they fold their arms in a certain way. And you know, they're like, prove it to me. You know, it's kind of like when you come up here and you've, you've never met me. You know, for about five minutes, you're deciding, do I like her? You know, is it okay? I mean, usually people try to tell you a joke real quick at that moment. That's what they would do to me for one year. Just, do I like this person? Do I not? So after one year of being with me, she corners me. And we're in the coffee house, and she says, I need to tell you something. She said, after a year, she said, you have changed my life. She said, I appreciate what you've taught me. She says, you've changed how I feel about God. She said, he's real to me. She says, I've never experienced this before. She said, everything that I've been taught in my strict upbringing has just crumbled and fallen. And she said, I like what you've done because you've showed it to me in the scripture. I'm sitting there enjoying this conversation. I'm like, where's my recorder? I mean, these are those good moments. You've gone a year and not had any feedback from her. And she's telling me how glowingly wonderful, how transformed she is, what a difference it's made. Because when she came to me, she was burned out on religion. You know, a lot of kids come to you in college and they're burned out. And she was going to walk away from what her parents had taught her until she had met me. So it was one of those moments I felt like we had made a divine connection until she said the next sentence. And she says, but there's one thing I have trouble with, somebody in your group. I was thinking, I wonder which clown. You know, you're wondering which one of my college kids did it. And she said, it happened in the kitchen. She said, there hasn't been anything that you've said that I haven't not believed because you'll show it to me in the, in the Bible. But she said, this person got in the kitchen, and she said, I heard them do it. And she said, I know there's no scripture for it. She said, they boss God around. They tell God what to do. She goes, that is not scriptural, to boss God around. I said, it's kind of like treating him like a slot machine, isn't it? You know, you just tell him what you want, ka -ching. And I was like, oh, dear, what am I going to say? And all of a sudden, this came to me. I showed her the scripture in Matthew 8. And I said, what you're not understanding is who you're bossing. Because people are so in tune to thinking authority works like prayer, they think that you're speaking to God. See, when you pray, you're communicating with God. When you open up your heart and you pour things out to him, you're talking to God. But when you have authority, you're not speaking to God. It's not God that you're commanding. So you're not crossing God, but you're bossing your problems around. You're speaking to the sickness. You're speaking to whatever it is that's standing in the way. You're commanding it to do what it's supposed to do. And so with God, you bow down and you worship. I take orders from God every day. I don't give God orders. Another thing I don't give God is suggestions. Not only do I not tell God what to do or give him orders, I don't even give him suggestions. Have you ever noticed if you give him a suggestion, he won't do it? You know why? He's a man. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, if you tell God what to do, like my dad said, whatever I suggest to God to do, he has never used one of my suggestions. So dad said, just keep them quiet. Don't say your suggestions to God, because if you suggest it, he won't use it. So we're not bossing God. I'm delicate. I'm not even suggesting to God what he should do because he's so unusual because he likes to surprise me. I'm not going to run his surprise. But when it comes to evil, you better be the boss. You better find your authority. When it comes to something of the enemy or the devil, you've got to boss it. So the same thing with this guy. We turned in our Bible. So I said, look at verse 9 and verse 10. He said, the centurion said, just like we were saying, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But Lord, just say the word and your servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority and I have men under me. I'm a man in authority and I have men underneath me. And he explains it to Jesus. Look at this. This is a man explaining a principle to Jesus. And he says, I tell that servant what to do. I tell him, go do this, go say this, go here. And he says, and he does it. And he says, you're a man in authority too because one man in authority recognizes another man in authority. 
Men that have authority recognize authority in other men. That's why they were shocked at Jesus. They saw something they had never seen. They saw authority in him. And so suddenly, this guy says, I get what you're doing. I do it all the time to my soldiers underneath me. I say to them, and look at this. He said, I tell them to do this, and they do it. And Jesus marveled. He was amazed. He liked this guy's story. Now, you're not expecting someone to tell Jesus, don't do it the way you're planning to. This is the method I have, and this is the parable that I have to explain to you, Jesus, why I'm doing it this way. And you find Jesus marveling over this guy. In fact, he says something to this guy that you never hear but two times in your Bible. He said, I have not seen this great of faith. You have great faith. You know what? Authority gives you great faith. Authority is something that Jesus marveled. He's like everyone else just uses me to get what they need. The healing. Just come here and heal. Just, just like come do it. Come do it. You know, like Jesus is in town. Let's get what we need from him. But he said, you've understood it in a way so few people have. He says, you understand that it's authority, that it's speaking it. You know, I was thinking, first time I thought about this, it's kind of a funny story. But I told you my dad had explained to me about this concept of authority of the believer. You know, watching my dad as a pastor, he always had this thing that people would do to him. But about right before somebody they cared about was going to die, they would call my dad and they would say, could you come quick to the bedside and lead them to Jesus? And so constantly he'd be getting calls, sometimes not at good times at night, to say, uh, my loved one's dying. Would you come lead them to Jesus? Now, you wonder why couldn't that have happened sometime during their lifetime? But, you know, let's play it close like the thief on the cross and let's just try to get them saved right before they go into eternity. And my dad did this a whole lot. Like that would be something that they'd call him out for. Well, sure enough, same thing happened with our neighbor. They had their ranch next to our ranch. And they said, uh, would you come to the hospital really quick? Your neighbor, Billy's about to die. We don't want him to spend an eternity without Jesus. And so my dad was running to the hospital. And sure enough, he comes in and here's this old neighbor. And this old neighbor, you wouldn't know... You could tell he had not been to church in his life. He hadn't, you know, there didn't seem to be a religious bone in his body. So it was my dad's job to get this guy saved right before he went into eternity so he could spend his life with the Lord. So my dad asked him, you know, he gets right to the punchline with him. He says, Billy, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Well, it was at that moment that the neighbor surprised my dad. He said, oh, yeah, I've already asked Jesus into my heart. And Dad said, you did? Well, tell me about it. Because Dad's not going to think that the, you know, he's not going to think it took. He's going to think there's going to be some religious answer he gives, and it's not going to convince me that the guy really met Jesus. And so the next thing that he said, my dad dropped his jaw. He said, oh, yeah, your daughter led me to the Lord. And Dad comes home. He goes, do you remember leading Billy to the Lord? And I go, no, I don't remember leading him to the Lord. My dad said, well, I was going to see if your memory was any better than mine. And then Dad started telling the story. He said, remember years and years ago when you were about 15 years of age? And he said, we were in the back pasture. And he said, all the ranchers and the men were in the back at our ranch. Now, guys, have you ever chased a bull around? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to herd one and get him to go where you want him to go? Yeah, you know how many men uh, come up with ideals of what to do to get that bull to go the direction they want him to? Well, these guys had a real bad problem on their hands. They had their trailer parked out in the middle of our pasture. No shoot, nothing. And they were trying to get the bull to go get in the trailer. You picture it. You know what it looked like. Well, this is why my dad was upset. The bull had jumped the fence and he had bred all of our young heifers. And so he was one of those bad bulls. And my dad was really upset because he would jump the fence, breathe the heifers, and jump back over. Well, when it came time, he had messed up all of our new cattle crop because all the heifers lost their calves 
And they also, many of them died trying to give birth because it was a huge bull. And my dad had been so careful with his herd. He'd kept them put away. He had a small bull to start them on. He was going to have the exact right breeding time. And all of a sudden, all his heifers are in a mess. Well, he had called up the neighbor. And he goes, your bull has jumped that fence. And he said, it's messed up all my cattle because they're too young to cat. And my dad was so frustrated. You know how you are when you lose. Not only are you losing the new calf crop, you're losing the new heifers that you have. And he was really angry. And he told him, he said, come over and get your bull. So the man's idea of how to get his bull was just bring a trailer. Let's put him in the trailer. He brought his children, his friends. As the event was going on and on, I mean, men were yelling and screaming. The dirt was flying. And it was looking more and more impossible. And it was a royal mess. And the guys were not happy. And that's the scene I had walked out into. And I'm watching them. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to my heart. And he tells me, if you'll speak to that bull and tell him in my name to go into the trailer, he said, it'll do it. I said, oh, Lord, not that bull. No. He's running all over the place. I mean, there, he's not anywhere near the trailer. I asked the Lord, I said, um, can I whisper to you? I mean, it's you answering the prayer anywhere. Let me just whisper it to you. And then let's see if you'll, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll whisper and you make it happen. You know the Lord. He had a good idea and he wasn't going to change his mind on it. And I felt shy around all these men. And you know how men feel about women being in their way when, you know, they're doing all their cattle stuff and they're so efficient and they know what they're doing. They don't want a woman out there interfering. And so the Lord just kept telling me over and over to do it. You know, kind of like my mom, repeating himself. You know, he was just saying it all over and over and over again. God said, no, I said, do it out loud. And he kept telling me to do it. You know, with God, you can't argue. It's just, it's, you're not going to win. So at 15 years of age, I used my best authority. And I say, bull, <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ, Go into that trailer. I said it one time. That bull turned and he looked at me. And he walked right over to the trailer. This is where Dad said he couldn't believe the story either. Because he said when you step into the trailer, when the trailer goes down with the weight of the bull, it always scares them away. I mean, you can't make a bull get in a trailer just out in the free range because when they step into it, they won't get into anything that's unstable. He put his foot in the trailer and he loaded himself in the back end. Billy said he went home, he confessed his sins, repented, and gave his life to Jesus. <laughs> and so when he came to the point of eternity, he said, I saw something that I never would have believed if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. I'm going to tell you, authority is what the world's waiting for. It's the authority of the believer. You're not speaking to God. You're speaking to the problem. You're speaking to the bull. Remember, you're under authority, and you've got things that you're in authority over. You've got things that are under your authority. So you've got to speak directly to something that doesn't have ears and you feel foolish doing it. You go, you've got to be kidding. But I've seen you guys. You have a motorcycle that won't start. And you go out. And you say something about that motorcycle, about heaven and hell. And that motorcycle's eternity. You say plenty. Your wife looks at you like you're crazy. But you're speaking to something that doesn't have ears all the time. You're kicking that tire. You're speaking. And that's what God's telling you to do. He's telling you to speak directly to it. That you speak that God is behind your words. You know, jail bars can't hold back your authority. Your family that's going all out of control and worried, they're waiting for you to use your authority. This is Jesus. He spoke to things that don't have ears. He spoke to the wind and the waves. 
You know, he spoke to things to tell them to obey. You know, sickness must have ears because sickness obeys Jesus. This paralyzed servant, he must have had ears in the spiritual realm because when Jesus spoke, it said at that same hour the guy was healed. You speak to the wind, the storm, the mountains. I'll never forget this, but we were in Guatemala. It was the first mission trip I took our kids on. And there was a guy down there, and his family had been there for years and years and years doing mission work. And he told me this. He said, do you know why Americans don't see answers to prayer? Do you know why we have miracles here in Guatemala, but you don't have them back in the States? And there's a lot of theories on that. People are constantly trying to figure it out. Why will you see these unbelievable miracles in these third world countries or these primitive places, but you won't see them here? And this is what he told me. He said this exact same thing in a different set of words. But he says that Americans come into it, and when they see a problem, they just start praying. Oh, God, I'm just asking you please to heal. And he says they pray to God like they haven't been praying before. And they're trying to talk God into it, and they start begging. And he says, you don't see a healing in the Bible happen that way. Jesus never went, and when there was someone deaf, just start praying that God will heal him. He didn't address God. He would stick his fingers sometimes in the ears, and he would say, be healed. You see the difference? He would speak directly to it. He said, ears be open. He'd say, I see. He would say, rise and walk. To the demons, he'd say, get out. He didn't pray. He said, that's why you're not seeing miracles. Nobody does it the way Jesus did. Jesus did not pray. Not publicly, not when he was doing the miracle. He did not pray. He spoke. And he spoke directly to it. That's why Jesus was flabbergasted at this God that was a centurion that figured out how he was doing the miracles. He was bossing them like a slave. He was bossing them like a servant. You've got to boss it in your life or you won't move it. You've got to tell it what to do. Be healed. You've got to speak to it. He wasn't publicly praying, but he was publicly speaking to it. So, I was thinking about that. It's an understanding of authority. And that's why Jesus said to him in verse 13, Go, and it shall be done for you as you believe. Because one commander recognized another commander, and he understood that when you really have authority, people do what you tell them to do. And when you really have authority, demons will do what you tell them to do. And when you really have authority, sickness will leave a body when you do what Jesus did. So, I was thinking about it. It happened that same hour. Well, I was hoping today that I'd have my friend Loopy here. I told my mom, I pray Loopy's here when I walk in that door. Sure enough, I opened the door and there sat Loopy. I go, Loopy, I've got to talk to you. She goes, I've got to talk to you. I go, I used your name in Mexico, and I told this story on you. Can I tell it today? So she even gave me better facts to the story than even what I had known about it. But I had said, here's Loopy. I have this friend in Texas. And her aunt called her one day, and she told her, I don't know what's happened, but she said, your little cousin went crazy. <laughs> she said, like, she's mentally gone off her rocker. She's gone insane. We've locked her in her room. She's attacking the family. She won't eat for days. Everybody's scared of her. And she said just one day she woke up and she was crazy. And so either she asked Loopy to come pray or Loopy was knowing about her authority and Loopy said, okay, I'll come pray and I'll pray for my cousin and her mind will come back to her when I pray for her. And so Loopy was going to drive down to Mexico to pray for her little cousin. I had said, this is where my facts were wrong, it was an eight-hour drive. Loopy said, no, it was about 15 to 20-hour drive. So picture this, 15 to 20 hours, she's going to drive down to Mexico. So she comes by the coffee house, and she's going to get prayer because she wants to make sure that when she uses her authority, that it's going to work. And so she said, would you all pray about my cousin? So I remember her coming in. This is where I was in the junction of the story that I was in the coffee house. I was like, what happened to your cousin? I don't know. She'd been completely normal. And now she's crazy. 
like we all have one in the family. And that demon spirit had grabbed her cousin's mind. She said, I'm going to pray for it. It's going to loose her and come off. Well, you know what happened. We all start just using our authority. Loopy starts using her authority. We command that spirit. You let go of that girl. Let go of her. So anyway, Loopy goes home. She had charged her battery up. She's ready to go down there in the power of the Lord. And all of a sudden, when she got up the next morning to drive, her mother calls, I think her mother, and she says, you're not going to believe this. But she said, I don't know what to tell you. Loopy doesn't need to come. Her mind came back to her. She's okay. That's exactly what we're talking about. You can speak it here, and it'll work 15 hours away. You can speak the word here, and the demon leaves there. So this was the piece that Loopy gave me that I didn't know. I don't think they had caught this up just real fast, but there had been a movie that everybody had wanted to watch in Mexico. It was a real popular movie. So they had all watched Chucky. And they'd watch this horror movie. And guess what? A spirit of murder had jumped on the cousin. And the cousin's not very big. The cousin. And the cousin is not very big. And her uncle is a big, strong man. He's afraid of nothing. And he was afraid for his life. She was going to kill his wife and him. Because it doesn't matter what body that spirit of murder inhabits. They'll find a way to kill you. And they go off their rocker. So look at this. Prayer can't be locked up, but she sure was. <laughs> and there's a lot of people locked up that could be set free because of the faith of a cousin like this going and getting prayer and saying, that spirit will come off of my cousin. She wasn't praying. She was commanding. And as they commanded, that thing let go of the hold. So you can pray for something in Mexico, and it'll take place. You can make your prayer life in prison. Your prayer life, your authority cannot be locked up. And that's when Jesus said, truly, I've not found such a great faith as anyone in Israel. So, miracles, they have a command to them. I want to give you a scripture. I want you to look in John 11, verse 11. Because I think a lot of times we're hearing bad news, and as a pastor, we just start praying. And you do. But that's your homework. You pray until you get your assignment. You pray until God tells you how to do it. So in chapter 11, Jesus gets instructions from God. Your friend whom you love is sick. His instructions are... Don't go. <laughs> Wait four days. <laughs> so in John 11, 11, Lazarus is falling asleep. And then Jesus prays. And he gets what he's supposed to do from God. He gets his assignment. He hears God tell him, just stay where you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't run to him. So the Bible has to clarify real quick. He loved Lazarus, or you'd think he didn't. Because if you hear your friends sick... They're calling on you because you can do miracles. They're not expecting you not to care. So the disciples are really confused, and they think, well, if he's falling asleep, uh, they're saying, well, it's okay. In verse 12, he'll wake up. But Jesus being a good friend, he stayed long enough to let him die. That's what happens. And you've got to think about this. Lazarus wasn't a little dead. He wasn't a day dead. He was four days dead. He was real dead. And that's the point of the story. Because you can have someone, you raise them from the dead, and they're a little dead, and people will talk themselves out of it. Or one day dead, you know, maybe, maybe you resuscitate them. But four days dead, it's convincing. So he's real dead. And this is the scripture that you'll find where Jesus, besides causing all the conflict in the family, that he's going to show you the difference between praying and commanding. Now the first thing that I'm going to say is, why did Jesus just tell them that he's asleep? when he knew Lazarus was dead. It wasn't like Jesus was misinformed about it and didn't hear God right. He knew he was dead, but he said he was asleep. I'm going to just give you a little hint. Don't speak death over something you're planning on raising. Don't let that spirit of death have its way. He's asleep. But when the disciples were confused, he told them, he said, I'm going to give you reality on it. This is what's happening. And he said, okay, it's time to go now. 
So as he goes, he gets different reactions. First of all, the sisters are really, they're upset. Martha's just flat mad at him. And she's like, I don't understand. You know, I know you love Lazarus, but when we called for you, you didn't come. She wanted him to say, well, I never got the message. But he did get the message, and he stayed for four days. And this is the part where Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Martha, do you believe this? She gives you the answer that everybody in church gives. I don't know why this doesn't change people's mind. She says, yes, I believe. I believe. She said, I believe you're the resurrection. She said, in heaven we'll all experience the resurrection, and, and that's beautiful. How many people will tell you, yeah, we'll all be healed in heaven? That's a good religious answer. It'll take place in heaven. And so you see this argument that takes place, conflict between Jesus and Martha. And he's saying, I'm telling you, if you will believe, you'll see it. And she says, yeah, I know, in heaven. She's religious. But not Mary. Mary's different with Jesus. When she comes here, there's a brokenness in her that's different than Martha. With Mary... It touches Jesus' heart because she really believes. Like she really knows. And that's where I see in verse 35 it broke him. He wept. It hurt him because Jesus loves. And so, you know, that's the verse you get candy for if you memorize a verse in the Bible. That's the one we all memorize. John 11, 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse, but boy, couldn't we preach sermons around it. He wept. So Jesus weeps. Even though he knows what he's going to do, he still cries. And so you see the next thing that takes place in verse 39. Jesus tells them the shocking thing, and he says, take away the stone. Now guess who starts protesting? Martha. He stings. He stings. It's already started the decay. Look, I'm already upset with you. You waited four days till it's too late. Now, don't make this worse by going to visit the dead body now. I mean, you're not even time for a visitation. He, he stinks. I mean, I don't even want him back now. He's rotted. He stinks. And if you've ever seen an I told you so, it's verse 40. Jesus gives Martha an I told you so. He said, did I not tell you? Roll that stone away. Did I not say if you believed, you would see. Are you really going to make your faith only be for heaven? It's not faith in heaven. In faith, it's seeing faith. Here, you've got to believe it to receive it. He asked her to believe before she sees. It's down here on earth that you've got to believe it, that you've got to say, okay, he's saying, I am the resurrection. He's saying you can do these things. It's a believing it now. And then you see Jesus do something that's unusual. In verse 41 through 42, he does something that he does not do very often. Unless he's just in his, his quarters very, you know, with his disciples where he's doing that private praying. But this is the one time you're seeing a very public prayer on Jesus. And I think it's unusual, verse 41, 42. Father, I thank you that you hear me. So they know that you send me. You hear his motive. People are standing here. I want them to believe. Notice this, Jesus doesn't have his eyes closed. He's not bowing down his head. It says he looks up into heaven. And he's saying, God, I'm praying for those because I know we've already talked about this and you've already heard me. You know, this would be like you... Um, Praying like this if you had a barbecue. <laughs> and you invited over all your heathen friends. And you've been witnessing to them forever. And you look up into heaven and you say, God, I've been talking to you about this guy. And I'm praying for his sake so that guy knows that God sent me. I'm having this barbecue today just so that guy will get saved. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus gives. And that's exactly what it looks like when Jesus prayed it. He prayed about Lazarus. But I want you to mark something in your Bible. 
Nothing happens when he prays. His prayer doesn't do anything. Not for Lazarus. Watch when the miracle takes place. This shows you the line of distinction. He prays for the sake of the people. And he reminds God, I've already talked to you about this. I've already done my homework. A lot of times Jesus would pray all night. He prayed. But notice, that's not when the miracle happened. But verse 43, this is it. Feel something rising up in me. But in verse 43 it says, He cried out with a loud voice. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. And out of his mouth comes that command. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out of the tomb, in the burial cloth, comes Lazarus. You know, they said that he had to put the name on it. Because if he had just said, come forth, everybody would come out of those graves. Because the I am resurrection was speaking. But when he said, come forth, Lazarus stood up in those burial clothes. There's things that are dead in your life that you need to use your authority on. There's things all wrapped in burial cloth. Jesus' prayer didn't raise Lazarus. This command did. And he shows you a very strong difference. And the church is stopping at verse 41 and 42. They're just speaking to the people. They're just talking to the people. They're not talking to their problem. They're not speaking directly to the thing that has to move. You know, Jesus, he prayed all right. Luke 6, 12, Matthew 14, 22. He'd pray in his private time, his secret time. Praying increases your authority. I think that's why he walked on water. It's the only place he could get alone so he could pray. And so in this example, you see a perfect example of having done his prayers and then his authority. But let's look at the reverse. This is what causes public failures. It's when you're not getting your prayer life done to the point to where you pray till you get a peace. That no matter what I face in a day, I pray till I have authority over what I'm facing that day. That I get a release. Like you're running out that door before you get your authority settled. Where you get the things under your feet where they belong. So that's why you find yourself like the Guatemala missionary saying, you're trying to quickly pray and catch up with God because you didn't pray that morning that night. You're facing it like it's brand new to you. But what you've got to do in your morning times, you get up and you pray until you sense that you have authority for that day's problems. Then no matter what comes up against you, you're ready for it. If you face a demonic spirit, you've already prayed to the point that you have that spirit underneath your feet. It's not shocking to you. Your authority is already intact. So start with that idea when we look at a time when authority doesn't work, when it's a failure. Mark 3.15, it says, Jesus says to his disciple, you have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. There's a person that told me, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you pray for sicknesses. Not with Jesus. Not anywhere with Jesus does it say you pray for sickness. Everywhere with Jesus it says you heal sicknesses. There's a big difference between praying for sicknesses and healing sicknesses. So he says that here, you got the power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. That's chapter 3. You flip six pages over to Mark 9 and you've got the authority to do it, but it doesn't work. In verse 17 it says, and he brought a son that was possessed by a spirit. And the spirit robbed the guy of his speech. It seizes the guy. It throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. And he gets rigid. And I told your disciples, and they failed. That's the case history. That's what they tell Jesus. And so you think Jesus is going to do what he would always do of saying, Oh, I just want to encourage you, my disciples, 
I want to encourage you that you tried. I mean, not many people try to cast out demons. I'm so proud of you. Like you, you next time you'll get it. I just want to encourage you and say, good going. At least you knew that something could happen. Isn't that his words in the next verse? Isn't that how Jesus encourages? You mean the church is encouraging things Jesus wouldn't? We're encouraging failure. We're encouraging people to, to not secede. We're encouraging people and not giving them real answers. Oh no, Jesus, this is his encouragement. I want you to listen to him. Oh, you unbelieving, perverse, perverted generation. How much longer am I going to put up with you? What do you mean, if you can? If you can, Jesus throws it right back at him. You watch him throw that if you can there. You perverse. What would you do if your pastor said that to you? You perverse. You failed at casting out the demon. You're thinking he's going to clap you on the back and say, good job. I'll tweak you a little bit. You. So Jesus does it for him. He goes, you foul, deaf, and dumb spirit. You come out of him and don't enter him again. When he said it, the guy flops around and he lays there like he's dead. They go, well, it went from bad to worse. <laughs> Jesus does it and the guy just, so then he lifts him by the hand and he pulls him up. And the disciples ask, why could we not do that? I mean, I, we don't get it. Mark 3, you tell us we can. And in Mark 9, the disciples failed. And notice what Jesus summons them back to. Prayer and fasting. You didn't do your homework. FaceTime with God. You need more intimacy with the Lord. It's like on the mission field. You're trying it for the first time. You haven't prayed a lick. You're, you've been upset all night long because you're hot. Not the food you want. Fighting with someone. You're not praying. You're not praying ahead of time what you're going to be facing. He's saying you've got to pray. This kind. You're dealing with. He said you're dealing with this particular kind. Doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. And if you've done deliverance, you'll know what they're talking about. There's some that have a stranglehold grip. And you've got to put time with the Lord. You know, sometimes I get up in the middle of the night and I'm asking the Lord, what's it going to take on this person? What's the key? What's gripping them that maybe, you know, a little bit of movement, but you're not going to get that strong one. And there's a difference when you do it this way. And it's frustrating when the person ends up in the fire and it's not working. So the summary is your prayer time. We pray. We plead. We beg God, please do it, please do it, please do it, please do it. We cry out. But authority commands. It's different. It speaks directly to it. It's public. It either works or it doesn't. You don't see David pray before he fought Goliath. It's been a lifetime of worship and prayer. And then when he sees this thing, this beast, this huge nine-foot-nine man, he looks at him and he says, Why are you defying the armies of the living God? You don't have a covenant. And he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and today you will fall in your Flesh will be given to the birds and the dogs are going to eat you up and I'm going to take your head off. It's good authority. You don't see it much in the Old Testament, but you see him command. Not pray, command. So, within this famous thing on the disciples failing, in Matthew's version, he adds one more thing to this, this verse of uh, not being able to get the demon cast out. And Matthew 17, 20 is the same story. And he says, truly I say to you, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could speak to the mountain. And it would do what you tell it to. And so right here divides in your own personal life between talking about the mountain or talking to it. Are you spending all your time talking about your problems or speaking to your problems? You can't blame God for not doing anything. You're not giving him a mustard seed to work with. It doesn't take much. So if you have time to be frustrated and vent and talk and, and you know, just uh, chew it and, you know, all this kind of stuff we do, 
in the name of the Lord. Amen. That's our prayer life. It looks nothing like he's saying because we've never figured it out. We've never figured it out in the Bible, the difference between praying and commanding. It's like we discuss and cuss and discuss and we've never which direction with it. But we're not doing what he's telling us to do. The verse that I got for y'all that I put in here was Matthew 16, 19 and Matthew 18, 18. And it's where Jesus says, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will come un untied. And he gives you this authority. He even works agreement into the Matthew 16 one. And the rabbinical thinkers, they interpret the word very strongly, and I, I like it. But it says, whatever you forbid, I'll forbid. And whatever you permit, I'll permit. And I've seen my dad let some things I said stand, and I've seen him forbid some things. There's some things, man, that you can't let stand in your family. It's a no. It's, it's forbidden. It's the power of forbidden, forbidden, forbid, or it's the power of permitting. It's the power of bonding. It's the power of loosing. If you aren't activating bonding and loosing, letting something out or tying it up, you're not using your authority. And that's why your kids are running around like crazy. It's why your problems are running out of the chute. It's because you're not doing what the Lord says. The word is tie, untie, loose. It's a very simple word. So in summary, Jesus prays. If you try to pray and don't have authority, it's not going to work. And if you try to have authority without prayer, it's not going to work. The answer is doing your homework and passing the test. The Roman centurion, Lazarus, disciples failing to cast out the spirit when the authority didn't work. It's those guys. It's Loopy with the crazy cousin in Mexico. Healed before you can even get there. Delivered of that spirit that came on her with an open door. It's rebuking the hell and the tornadoes that you see. It's the bull. And it is the power of God to cause a man to say, yeah, I went home and repented of my sins. And I asked Jesus in my heart because he saw the authority that Jesus has given us in his name. Amen.